0: Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Hey, George. Thanks a lot for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Nice. It was great to meet you at AWSI. Um, how did that show go for you guys?
1: Oh, you know, I, I think pretty well. It's uh, it's amazing to see how the industry's grown. Uh you know, when I started uh, my business, there were virtually no hydrofoil companies at all. I think Lyft was just going, starting, and uh, there were maybe like three French companies that were offering foils. Um, this would be over 10 years ago now. And- uh, Oh, wow. Um, you know, and now like, so you couldn't buy a foil, you, you know, like if, if you wanted, uh, you could buy a Lift. Or you could order a French foil and send money over there and wait for a couple of months and it would show up eventually. But uh, yeah, so I decided at that time, you know, I mean, we shouldn't have to wait months to get one of these things. Why not make one here? And uh, I've always been interested in aviation and kites and uh, boats and sailing and wind power and uh, a trained engineer. So I had a good background for that. And even as a kid, I always really enjoyed making things, taking things apart. Was just that kind of person, I guess. Yeah. So to see AWSI where, you know, every brand now has a hydrofoil. I mean, there used to be hydrofoil brands, but now if you make a kite or you make a wing, then you also make a hydrofoil, right? So there's hydrofoil companies like Axis and... Armstrong, just, well, I guess Armstrong's making boards and wings now as well. But now, you know, even companies that have made kites in the past now have foils, right? So, I, I mean, it's, it's not a matter. I mean, what would you say? There were 20 foil brands there, possibly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and there every, were some every one there weren't them. weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, actually.
1: Yeah, so in a way, since I got into this pretty early and I feel like there's been a lot of aspects of it that I pioneered that have sort of now become pretty normal in that space. Uh, in a way, I felt kind of like, man, I'm getting run over. There's just so much competition. And, uh, and the quality of the foils has come up. Even at last year's AWSI, there were some foils which, like, I looked at and, you know, could feel so superior. Like, oh, God, look at that. You know, and uh, this year, I mean, everything, like, I didn't see a single foil that looked bad. You know, they, I mean, <laughs> the quality has come up, the construction, and people have really started to figure out what makes these things tick. And, and, you know, I, I didn't get to ride that many. I mean, I was an exhibitor. I would have liked to have tried like a lot of the foils there, but it's not for exhibitors to try this stuff. It's for <laughs> retailers to try this stuff, you know. I'm not gonna walk up to my competitor, hey, like can I try here, you know? Like I probably wouldn't go over that big. Uh but yeah, I mean I I saw some amazing things there. Uh so you know, in some ways I felt like man, this is getting to be a really competitive space. And in other ways I was kind of heartened to see that the quality of the hydrofoils that are being offered really coming up to what they need to be. And I think really the catalyst for it all is winging. Mm -hmm. You know, I, the first seven years of my business was exclusively for kite foil applications and yeah, initially exclusively just for racing. That's what I was into. yeah, I wasn't a high-level competitor by any means, uh, but we had a great group of people starting in the early days uh, that you know competed in Florida, who went down to Puerto Rico. It was the same group of 15 guys, and we always had a great time, and Oh, nice! everyone got good. And that's what racing does for you, like if, if you want to really jumpstart building your skills like racing will do that, but it will also humble you tremendously. I can imagine, especially if you're racing against people that you know are really freaking good. Uh, but in a way, I think that humbling experience helped me. It kind of helped me figure out, you know, what my goals are, what my expectations could be, and I'm feel really privileged that I was able to get into foiling right at the beginning. And I always saw the potential. I mean, I saw it. I saw it for the first time on videos on YouTube and When I saw it, I said like that is it that that is the thing and back then no one was doing it like it was a crazy It looked like a circus act or something, you know Uh, but then It's it's come to fruition. It's one of the few things
0: that I've been right about (laughs) Hey! That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Can we talk about a little bit about the early days that we were talking about before we came on on yeah. recording? But yeah, yeah,
1: it has hydrofoil has got a, a really interesting history. Like even back in the 50s, there was hydrofoil water skiing, and these were kind of like contractions. But they actually literally had water skis that were sort of bolted together so they weren't independent. But then underneath, they had these big B foils. I mean, they were very difficult to ride, but people were riding them in the 50s and you could buy a kit and build these things. So it's not an entirely new idea. Uh, And then the first time I really saw it was this thing, I think I saw it at a boat show, the air chair, this guy, Matt Murphy, and there were some other guys. And he had invented this uh, water ski hydrofoil, which it was like a board with a lot of rocker that had an aluminum foil under it, which was very crude, very low aspect ratio, nothing great there. Uh, and then it had a pedestal that you sat on and that you were seat belted to the pedestal and your feet went into bindings at the front of the board. And the thing was heavy. So, huh. you know, when you wore a life jacket, you kind of floated like ready to go. Like it was under you, you floated above it, you were lined up. You know, the boat could give it the gas and you'd come up. And now you were foiling. And uh, because of the way that you were strapped in and your feet were in, just by lowering or raising your hands, you could, you know, lower or raise the foil. And, uh, but those guys, uh, I think, became pretty popular for for water skiing, and they were doing flips and jumps, jumping wake to wake, and it was amazing. And uh, I mean, I never, I wasn't a water skier; I didn't want to do that. Uh, but it really planted the seed in my mind of the potential of it. And then uh, I think the next time I saw it. Uh, were videos of Laird Hamilton and Rush Randall in Hawaii Mm -hmm. uh, towing in big waves. You know, those guys, what they wanted to do. Uh, And they were using snowboard boots with clip-in bindings. And they had... That's insane. And then they had, like, a leash between the bindings so you could pull so that, you know, you didn't drown. You could free your feet. And then you'd only be, like in the surf in Hawaii with giant waves coming with snowboard boots on, right? (laughs) sounds like a good idea. And the foil, I think Rush Randall had the foil that he was selling. It was all aluminum, super heavy. Mm. And I said, like, yeah, that's interesting, but this idea that your, your feet had to be, like, that rigidly planted was really like a turnoff. It made me think that the hydrofoil really wouldn't be controllable, short of having boots like that, or short of being strapped into the air chair. Like, it was, you know, it didn't seem like it was rideable. And then I saw a video on YouTube, and this was just when YouTube was starting. And it was this guy, Marc Blanc, he was a Frenchman. And this freaking guy was riding a piece of wood, like, Literally, a piece of wood that you'd buy at Home Depot. It wasn't like maybe three feet long, 18 inches wide, or whatever. And it had a hydrofoil strapped under it. And he even had like a diagonal piece of wood to stiffen the strut to the board that like went to one side. And he was riding it strapless, like
0: no straps at all. Like there weren't any straps on the board. He was riding a tiny little. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in Laventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, We went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um, Heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna, and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand, so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, They do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, So once again, they're at Latuna, so if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there, so you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so, don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at saladita kite school. At saladita kite school. Kite, looping the thing around.
1: And he was ripping, like doing 360 degree turns, jump size. And as, saw as, I, as soon as I saw someone riding it strapless, I said, this is it. This can work. This this does work, right? And uh, there was a guy called Mango Manny who had a company called Carafino. And okay. I think he was probably the first guy that was selling carbon foils uh, with like a twin tip type board on top. Made in Asia. And they were reasonably priced. They were like a thousand bucks. I ordered one. You know, and uh, it the wait was long, like your money was gone and you were waiting for this thing to show up. And he had a lot of business problems, like delivery problems, quality problems. He seemed like a good guy. And he was without a doubt a pioneer, like one of the first guys out there. So finally this thing comes and I've been kiteboarding for a while. I was a pretty experienced kiteboarder and I'm trying to learn how to ride this thing with the foot straps. I got my feet jammed and my ankles are just getting twisted. You know, you're used to like a skatey thing, like a twin tip or a surfboard. And now this thing's just planted in the water. It doesn't slide, you know, it just just wants to go in one direction. Hmm. And like after a couple of sessions, so you know, like falling to lured with the foil coming up at you, the whole shebang. oh yeah, like, yeah yeah. I I put it away. It was in my garage for another three years, and then I don't know what. Maybe I saw some more videos of people riding or something. I, I don't I don't exactly recall, but at some point I took it out of the garage. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ride this thing, and I took the straps off and uh, learned to ride it strapless, which I think was a good move. Because, you know, you really need to be lined up with the foil, as you know. Like, you can't Mm -hmm. use your ankles to muscle the foil back into alignment. That doesn't work. Uh, So I learned to ride that foil, and I was riding it. People were freaking out. Like, (laughs) you know, people at the beach were wigging out. They did not know what they were looking at. It had only been, like, 10 years ago. Because I got into kiting very early, like in 99, and flying two-line kites.
0: Yeah, I was going to say and two lines, eh?
1: Yeah, I had the Whippica 5-meter that I bought from Hawaiian Pro Line. That's all you could get. I, I had the 3.5-meter and the 5-meter. And I think they had a 75 or nine, which the word on the street was it wasn't good. But okay. um, if people were freaking out when I started with that, but they thought I was an idiot. Like, actually, there was one guy who came up to me says, Yeah, you know, we used to watch you and we laughed at you. We thought you were so stupid. <laughs> and, and, like, I can't believe you actually made it work. That's, that's great. So, they're like, well, yeah, thanks, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, with the hydrofoil, like, and literally there was, and, the thing is that it worked in such light wind, right? Like you'd go mm-hmm. out in 10 miles an hour and kite foiling works great. And uh, literally I came, I'd ride in the evening, trip super smooth wind here. and I came back to the beach and there were like 10 people on the beach and they gave me a, an ovation. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and then I said, all right, I'm going to step it up. So uh, I purchased a Spots One race foil. From France, oh, and ooh. the thing came, and compared to the Carafino, this thing was beautiful. Like, well, streamlined. At the Carafino was pretty chunky, and the quality was not great. But you going it? slow, it was fine. No, I sold it to a buddy, and okay. uh, he sold it to somebody else. Like, it had, it was like owning a Vespa scooter, right? Like, it's kind of you know, you just pass it on to the next guy, and. Uh, yeah. No, I, and uh, the build quality on it was pretty poor. And, uh, it kind of started to come, the board started to delaminate and come apart. But um, yeah, so I got this French foil and I thought, I had been hydrofoiling for a year on the Carafino. I thought, like, well, you know, I'm just going to go and ride this thing. <laughs> and that thing was really hard to ride. It was like learning all over again. I could ride it just barely on Port Tack and on the other side I couldn't ride it like that was a level like on my dominant side I I could just barely ride it and on the other side I couldn't ride it at all and then eventually I figured it out and I could ride it around I started racing on it Uh, I met Damien Leroy and John Modica and uh, Nick Leeson down at the first Regatta in Puerto Rico and at that point I had already built a foil Uh, so I brought my own foil and I brought uh, the spots one, and yeah, I got totally humbled in Puerto Rico. It was super windy, super choppy, and I was trying to ride strapless because you know I'm so cool, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get to the windward mark. <laughs> it was just just <laughs> exhausted, just pummeled, you know. And uh, Damien and John, like they figured it out right away. They were Ugh. riding lip foils, or yeah, this. The Toroa Sword, which was another French brand. It was basically the Spots and the Taroa Sword that were the dominant foils at that time. And they were, like, for the time. Like, you could race on them, you know? But uh, then things changed. Like, the Spots 2 came out. That was super dominant. Everyone raced on that. And I was, like, building foils and selling some. But truth be told, they weren't great. I mean, they were pretty bad. I mean, but all the foils at that point were not that great. The Spots too was kind of a breakthrough foil and it was the first foil that had the thing where the wings kind of went up and then came down. So it looked a little bit like a seagull. And then I was an engineer and I knew like for minimum drag and maximum efficiency, you really wanted a perfectly straight wing, you know, and I just kept trying to do that and really unstable for, and even now you'll never see a perfectly straight weight. No one offers one and there's a reason they suck. Yeah. They don't work. Hmm. Uh, so that's the first thing I had to learn. I was very stubborn. And, uh, so the it's spots too was super dominant. And, uh, then Mike Zaichek in San Francisco started to design foils and, uh, he really nailed it and what he really understood was that the foil needed to be extremely stiff because Mm. if it wasn't super stiff what happened when you're going fast it starts to the board and the wing just aren't connected in a solid way so the foil starts to do things that you didn't tell it to do on its own just due to flexure and then you're like trying to catch up to it and make it do things and he also was the one that came up with the mass connection that a lot of people are adopting now. That F1 is using, a number of other foils use it where it kind of um, clamps onto a channel at the top of the fuselage instead of going into a cavity, which was, you know, the other way of doing it. And that creates a, a pretty solid connection. So. I have a, a tremendous amount of regard for Mike and Stefano. I think Stefano is uh, underappreciated. I think he, you know, he uh, contributed tremendously to the success of Mike's lab. I think you know Mike's lab just became entirely dominant in the race scene, and that's kind of when I had to get out of it because I. You know, was able to design something that was close to the performance of a Mike's lab, but he kept improving the freaking thing. And, you know, and he had the benefit of having two people to collaborate where I was kind of on my own. And uh, also, he was in the right place. He had the top riders right there in his backyard testing for him. So then I had to switch gears. And when I first got into building hydrofoils, I had like certain goals. That I wanted to do, and there were things that I absolutely didn't want to do. I only wanted to make race gear. I only wanted to use carbon fiber. I don't want to use any aluminum. Yeah. And I wanted to make it in the United States and not use Chinese manufacturing. Take and in good the goals. end, I've done, and I didn't want to make recreational foils. Everything that I said that I didn't want to do, I have now done.
0: You know? Just goes to show. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not easy. And uh,
1: no, I think that was just uh, a lot of learning I had to do. Okay, fair and, enough. Uh, you know, those lessons from uh, doing the race foils I think benefited me so much when I changed focus to doing more recreational stuff. Uh, so initially, I was just doing more recreational uh, kite foiling stuff. And then uh, I started to get into the surf side of things. Uh, just about the time that Alex Aguera came out with the gold foil, kind of exploded that. Okay, um, But uh, it was funny because I think Alex did a really great job with the gofoil. foil. He was definitely a pioneer. No one, I mean, actually Damien Leroy was staking that foiling surf foiling might work. Uh, but because there were no foils that were specifically designed for it, it was kind of a hard thing. The wings were too small. You know, you don't really need very big wings for kite foiling. Um, no, I don't. And uh, Alex came up with a system that really worked in the conditions in Hawaii. He had kind of a very thick wing. And I looked at it and I said, like, it's not logical, it's not really efficient. You know, you don't need a wing that thick. But what was amazing is that everyone exactly copied him, like blindly, like Alex has got to have the thick wing; it's working, that's the thing that works. And uh, I was working with John Modica at the time and uh, I said like, no, nah, I think it should be thin. And he says, no, everyone's going thick, dude. It's like, maybe you need the drag to keep you on the wing." And I said, if we need more drag, I'll just build a bigger wing." <laughs> And you'll have more drag, and you'll have more lift, and that'll be good, right? And, uh, you know, eventually, it took three or four years, but eventually people abandoned the thick wing, but for a while it was all... And I'm sure that when Alex designed it, that it was the right thing for the local conditions that he had, and for the skill level that the riders were at at that time. Now things have changed uh, dramatically. You know, and uh, I think I don't know. Uh, I had been screwing around with really high aspect ratio wings as well, <laughs> and uh, even people that tried it said like, "Nah, this is just too hard to control." But the glide is unbelievable, right? right. And uh, you know, I think Signature or uh, one of those South African foils—I'm not sure if it was Signature Unifoil were the first ones that really cracked open the market with high uh aspect ratio wings that they just showed everyone that that's going to work now uh, and now yeah, I maybe mean, look look at the wings that are being offered by axis by moses by armstrong really high aspect and uh, yeah absolutely yeah of course i've gone that way too uh that yeah, i had already been doing it uh but the thing is, with uh, well then when wing foiling hit, you know, you needed to offer much bigger wings than we were offering for kiting. Although we already offered a 1,500, which is, but it's funny. Like, so we had these bigger wings, but for wing foiling initially, they weren't big enough because wing foiling at that time required a huge wing. Uh, and it's funny make. But- All these things go hand in hand. There's a reason for all of it. And the early hand wings that we were using, and my favorite at the time, was the F1 swing. That was awesome. It was the lightest, simplest thing. I mean, it was the best wing at that time, for sure, in my eyes. Very easy to handle. I really liked how light it was. But none of these things was stiff. So when you were trying to pump up, you know, you're pumping it and... Yeah, sort of the strut with the handles is going in and out, but the thing's also going like this. So you couldn't Mm -hmm. really develop a lot of thrust by pumping at that time. So you really needed a lot more hydrofoil because, and we weren't as good at it. No, it's brand new. You know, even now, yeah, even now I see, uh, you know, one of the things that beginners typically do, well, they can't get on foil they have really to struggle to get on foil. You know, an experienced rider on half the size of wing and a smaller hand wing than a beginner is on will pump up onto foil, no problem. But a mm-hmm. beginner will just stand there holding the wing, waiting for the wind to put them on foil. Exactly. Well, it takes a lot of wind to do that, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, if you have enough wind to do that, you're super
0: lit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Once yeah. you get good, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You're almost ready to go down to a smaller wing at that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. But beginners have this thing. But now, subsequently, what's happened, uh, and a lot of it is these better materials like Alula. I'm a big fan. Uh, yeah, the cost is high. It's it's not. I can like if you're a kid in college or you know you don't have. You have bills to pay, you got a family. Spending two thousand dollars on one hand wing may not be what you want, but they're damn good. I'm I'm a big fan. I I think Ocean Rodeo is crushing it like for such a small brand. Huge Mm -hmm. innovator on the material side. I think their wings are great, you know, and now that's the other thing at AWSI, who didn't have an Alula or equivalent type material wing. Everyone. That's did. a thing. Everybody's innovating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people follow. I think, I think Ocean Rodeo innovated. Better put.
0: <laughs> Better put. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I think actually the amount of innovation is kind of small. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like the, not, the next big thing at AWSI, right now in the sport, the biggest thing, Downwind paddle foiling, right. narrow boards. Well, who developed the narrow board? Does people don't even know now? But it was David Kalama, or unless there was somebody else in Hawaii that was the predecessor of Dave and inspired Dave. But Dave certainly seemed to be the first one to put that out there in you know a on a bigger to a bigger audience to make it aware of that as a possibility. And um, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, not so much that I feel like that is something I want to do, because I don't think conditions in my area are that conducive to it. And okay. also the logistics of finishing somewhere where you didn't start. And also, I think, um, you know, for someone my age, it, it would be more difficult just due to the physical demands of what that is. Uh, oh yeah, it's not easy. Uh, not at all. Uh, but I I think that that type of board is ideal for beginning to wing, for beginners. Because I had an experience uh, with a guy that bought a setup from a very well known manufacturer here locally, and it was the board must have been twenty eight inches wide, six six feet long, and then okay. Uh, Big ass hydrofoil, 1800, 2200 wing. He had 1800 wing. And uh, he was doing well, but he was quite an athlete. You know, he was uh, like an expert skier, did ski patrol. So he was had the skills. Uh, so he was doing okay, but was kind of struggling with the jiving and needed a lot of power. and. He was interested in Delta. I had met him and I said, Hey, look, you know, I have a foil company. Maybe you should check the foils out. I'd help you. And he said, yeah, I want to try Let's, let's, let's switch when we're out there. So there finally the day came, I was out and I was on my 700 square centimeter raceway, which uh, we have in stock now it's uh, at that time it was a prototype, but we, we put it into production. We have, and, uh, you know. Race strut, 100 centimeters long, and uh, he was on this beginner setup. So we switched. I was on a four meter. He was on a five meter. He was foiling. I was foiling. So we switched forwards out in the middle, and I wasn't expecting much. I thought like this is a smaller wing. Like this is literally a third of the size of what he's riding, what he's used to riding. Right? This freaking guy gets right up on foil, sails away jibes comes back does another jive like for him no way it was like an enabling moment like his gear was keeping him back like was Mm. killing him literally he was ready to step it up and he had this gear right meanwhile so I'm stoked, super stoked to see that he's enjoying himself, he's not crashing, he's not wrecking my stuff, you know? So I'm out of his gear on a four meter. I can't get up on foil, no freaking way. I could get up on foil on my 700. I can't get up on foil on his 1800. The amount of drag off of that board, this six foot by 28 inch board, right? And this was Mm -hmm. one of these boards where they moved everything forward. The tracks are forward. Every So you're kind of in the middle of the board. You're not on the tail. You can't pump it with your legs as efficiently, right? Because you can't pivot. Like, you're in the middle. You go like, it's just, I I mean, and it was so frustrating. You know
0: what it's like not to be able to get up on foil when you want to be on foil.
1: And it was windy,
0: right? That's like... My buddy had an early version of the slingshot. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a long board. You were in the center. I needed yep. a lot of power to get it up, but as soon as I got it up, I couldn't point because it would just want to turn like I was on the top because the foil was yeah. so far forward. It was terrible. It was the same kind of feeling, but I couldn't get it to do anything that I wanted it to do. I was. It was easier on my eighty liter. Oh, I wait. think I had the first version of the KT boards. Um. I said you get up faster on this board than you do that board. It was 150, and and he tried it, and it it was a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: so then we switched back, and you know, then I have to admit I struggled to get up on foil on my stuff too. I was on a four (laughs) beater and then, and then he he was like, unfortunately, he has the habit of uh, riding in the choppiest like least windy spot in our local area. Like I had to sail down to him in a place where I'd never sail because the wind's lighter and the water's more messed up. But eventually when I worked my way out of it, I was all set again. And, uh, yeah, he ordered a Delta the next day and, uh, he, he tells me, man, I can't believe I wasted a whole summer riding that other gear. So I said, like, well, you yep. know. That's just the way it goes. But um, what it made me realize is that maybe we're doing a great disservice to beginners because this is the type of package that is very commonly sold to beginners. Like, oh, you need a big foil because that'll make it easier to get up. Oh, you need a big board. That'll make it easier to stand up. But and then generally, you know, I mean, I'm not. And then. A lot of times, like depending on the manufacturer, and I'm not going to name anyone, I, that, that's my pledge. I'm not going to name names. But uh, the boards, possibly that setup is not very cheap at all. You know, And then maybe you save a little bit of money by buying not such a great hand wing that doesn't power up well. It, it's a terrible combination to learn on. They, I, I really believe that. And uh, it's making it harder for people uh, and I think that these downwind boards are really, maybe the ideal solution. Uh, and <laughs> I wouldn't go super narrow. I wouldn't do like 20 or 18 inches. Or something. Like what if you did 22 inches or something, you know, 23, inches. Huh. but six feet, six and a half feet, seven feet, whatever. Like I, now the thing you can develop actual board speed because the board goes through the water well. To get you to lift reasonably without having to be entirely lit out of your mind, you know? And then I don't think you would necessarily grow out of a setup like that. I think the only downside is uh, the cost. Like, you know, conventional, Mm -hmm. if you were to buy a 90 liter board or whatever, that might be 1400 bucks, 1200 bucks, you know? Uh, And I think for one of these downwind boards, well... They're hard to get now it's it's probably the only thing that the industry isn't over inventory on right? is that <laughs> yeah is that right yeah. but i'm sure by next summer there'll be plenty of them and hopefully the, the cost will go down but uh one problem with them, like if you have a board that's less than six feet you could ship that by ups or fedex but i think over a certain length uh those carriers won't take it anymore And I think these downwind boards are now over that dimensional weight requirement. So they're going to be expensive to ship Mm, uh, and it's going to add to the cost. Uh, So, but yeah, do take
0: off quick though.
1: Well, yeah. Wouldn't that be great for a beginner to take off quick,
0: right? Yeah. Like I had one at the hatchery when I was down, I think it was the 90 liter or it was 19 wide from KT. Yeah. And I had a, Four meter wing that night, and there wasn't a lot of breeze. But as soon as I stepped on it, already, there was current there and a bit of stuff. It already started to take off, I was like, "Whoa, yeah. okay, all imagine, right." So then I got. Imagine a, yeah. if
1: you were on something that was six feet long and twenty eight inches wide or thirty inches wide. That wouldn't have you wouldn't have come
0: up on foil. Yeah, know? I've been on some of those boards that are just planks of plywood with no shape, and they're super sticky. Yeah, And especially when the foil, like the early foils I found, um, like I, I hopped on an Armstrong pretty early. So in slingshot V1, I think the slingshots to the Armstrong. And then it was insane the, the step up and the difference from there. But I rode another buddy's foil that had, it, it was just like I was riding in molasses. Yeah. I couldn't move the thing. And yeah. it would get up, it took forever to get it out of the water. I was struggling to get it out. As soon as it was up, it would hit a wall at about, I don't know, 15 miles an hour or something. And then it would, that was it. That was all I could do. And I was like, I can't move this thing. Give me back this slippery little Pete that I have from Armstrong. It takes off faster. It glides. It surfs. It does all these things. Yep. And that's when I started to see the differences in everybody and, and how much tech is involved and all of that yeah. kind of stuff.
1: But you know, that's the kind of gear that typically gets sold to beginners. It is. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Typically, what they get is an economical wing, which I mean, and there are some wings that are good that don't, you know, that are in the $1,900 price range that are nice and stiff. I think the Cabrina Mantis would be one that people should consider. Uh, But, you know, if you get a floppy wing with a huge board and a huge foil, Good luck. Like I, and I, I have seen beginners here, like when I was kite foiling, no one would come. Like no one wanted to get into kite foiling. It looked too crazy, too dangerous, impossible. It just didn't look like something that people thought they could do. Right. Then the wing foiling comes along and it's viewed in an entirely different light. Like people see it and they see themselves being able to do it. And we have people, new people showing up at my beach all the time and uh, a lot of beginners. And I'll say this, uh, if they stick with it, they learn to do it. But it could be a year. Oh, yeah. yeah it could be longer. It could take takes some
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts yeah. are you? In the uh, world?
1: I'm on Narragansett Bay, Rhode Island.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I live right near the town beach. So I could just walk down. It's about a couple of hundred meters. And, uh, yeah, I've got an outdoor shower set up. So it's ideal. Like, I look, it's either windy or not windy. If it's windy, I just grab my shit, go down, get in an hour or two, come back, take a shower, pop a beer. It's uh, all beautiful.
0: Oh, nice. Good testing zone then because you get in the water quite a bit. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. And, you know, the wind. Oh, Typically, we get a lot of 10 to 12 mile an hour days, which are great for kiting. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's ideal for winging, but uh, other times the sea breeze will come in at 18, 20 miles an hour, and that's great for winging. Uh, And uh, yeah, you know, some of the new wings with uh, the better materials, like a 6.5 meter wing can really get you going in 12 miles an hour pretty well. And mm-hmm. I pretty much only ride the 700 wing, uh, and I find okay. that works pretty well even in light wind. For me, I weigh about 165. Oh, really? And, okay. Uh, well done. You know, And even when I put that, my friend, you know, that intermediate rider that was riding that beginner stuff, uh, the 700, it didn't... Uh, it's not hard to ride, bottom line. Good. and. I have it here. Let me see if I can grab yeah, let's it let's take give a you look an at idea it. of... Uh, because a lot of people have uh, sort of the wrong idea about this kind of way. So it's, its aspect ratio is 11, and this is my daily driver. And I, I think anyone can ride this as long as they have power. Everyone thinks, oh, high aspect wings, it's going to be pitchy, it's going to be hard to control. It's not, it could be if the wing is poorly designed, but if the wing is properly designed and properly manufactured, there's nothing about a high aspect wing that intrinsically makes it harder to ride. It is true that, um, you know, as you change the pitch of a high aspect wing, the lift changes more rapidly. That it would on a low aspect wing. But uh, okay. I don't think that that really makes it hard to ride. And it, my progression, um, you know, three years ago, I would have told you a 1450, that's what, that's the perfect science for everyone. And then, you know, people around me kind of pushed, like they started riding smaller wings that we have a racing scene. Bristol Yacht Club uh, hosts a series for us, a couple of regattas. So we have about seven, eight people locally that want to race, and uh, also some people that travel from Massachusetts and stuff like that. It's a great group of people. Uh, And then you know, then I dropped down from the fourteen fifty to the twelve eighty, and that wasn't bad. And then I dropped down to the ten fifty, which was a higher aspect wing, and and that felt fine and then the 850 and then like when I went to the 700 I wasn't sure I said like is this really going am I going to really be able to get up on foil and yeah it's all I ride now really I don't I don't like keep a lot of wings around I you know if I have wings around people tend to buy them and then they're gone yeah and so uh, pretty much the 700 all I have around I have a 1740 and I have a huge uh flat water pump foiling wing, which isn't in production. I don't think we'll put it into production, but it's one point six meters in span. It's about oh two thousand square okay. uh centimeters. And I use that on a sixty uh centimeter strut just for flat water pumping, like what the what Devin uh man, the wake thief guy, that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. And, uh, okay.
1: I've been doing that this summer and, and learning how to do it. You know, at the beginning I could like maybe go 50 feet and then I like, topple over. It's a skill. It's, you know, it's, uh, it does. I think it's helped my fitness a lot and it's a great thing to do when they go wind. And Oh yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Do you find your progression from that 14 down to the seven? Is it skill? Is it every the per- step was easy The evolution or was yeah, it the well, evolution yeah, of the wings i don't know uh
1: you know the wing design was always pretty similar i always use the same airfoil section so like if you cut the wing perpendicular the shape that you would see when you cut it the cross section of the wing that i kind of use the same one for every wing so that doesn't change and uh, okay. In our line, the aspect ratio increases as the wings get smaller, which is logical because I can't make an aspect ratio 11, 1450, because this wingspan would be enormous, right? <laughs> so, like a 1450, off the top of my head, I don't know what the aspect ratio is, but maybe it's like seven or eight, right? So, uh, the 17, 40, the 1450, and the 1280 in our line, which are called high aspect wings. I think now we'd call them more mid aspect, but uh, you know they're all the same aspect ratio. They're just kind of scaled down versions of each other. Okay. And then when you drop down to the 1050 and the 850, those have higher aspect ratios. Maybe those are something like nine, something like that. Uh, I have uh, the 850 here, so the 850 looks something like
0: that. I okay. I to get it in the frame exactly. Yeah, that's pretty good. We can see it. Yeah.
1: It's, it's all sort of like mirror image. I'm confused by it. Um, and then, you know, when you drop down to the 700, then it jumps to the next aspect ratio. But the 850 and the 1050 are already pretty high aspect ratio wings. But I think it's logical to make I think it's necessary uh, to make your higher area wings lower aspect ratio, because I find that when the span of a wing gets much over 100 centimeters, uh, they become harder to control. Uh, harder to turn, less maneuverable. Um, you know, so I was never like a huge fan of wings that had 115 centimeter span. Okay. Of course, I'm riding a, a wing that has 1.6 meters span now for a very particular, but I can tell you that it is hard to ride. It's very locked in roll And, uh, I tried, and it's also hard to have a strut system that's stiff enough to support a wing that big, Uh, but uh, the R-frame is stiff enough, but at 85 centimeters, that wing was very, very difficult to ride, and when Mm -hmm. I shortened the mast down to 65 or 60, uh, it became pretty decent to ride, so uh, a shorter mast is also pretty instrumental in making larger wings easier to handle. Okay. Because I that's...
0: tried the new 1650 from Armstrong, their pump foil. It was a lot of wind, mind you. I can't remember the tail that he had on there. My buddy had that with yeah. an Omen board. I just found it was more wind, but I just found it. It was slow. I didn't know if it was on purpose, but I found it. It, it was slow. Um, it went up wing, but I guess I, that's the only one I had written at that time. Why I would just you, found it very, Why very would slow. you
1: ride a wing last day? It you was know? just to
0: try it out, just to try yeah. it out for fun. It's surface yeah. area. You mm-hmm. know,
1: there's there's two things. So, you know, if, I don't know. I, I studied a lot of wing design and wing theory and aerodynamics, and so much has been done for airplanes in the 20th century. Yeah. If you think about how rapid the development was, that the Wright brothers first flew in, what, 19... 19- or nineteen oh six something they hopped in the air for thirty six seconds so that was nineteen yeah 06 or something and then you know if you think that in nineteen sixty nine we had a guy standing on the moon mm. that's a heck of a lot sixty five years sixty five <laughs> years you know um and and we we stuck in two world wars and a great depression uh to fill it in try, right imagine if things were going a little bit more smoothly. Uh, True. Uh, so, and, you know, there's just so much work that's been done by uh, the predecessor from uh, NASA, which was called NACO, which was National Aeronautic Council something. And all these reports are published. So how airplane wings work is uh, is very well understood and there's nothing new. There's not much more advancement going to happen. And uh, hydrofoils are just basically underwater airplanes, more or less. There's Mm -hmm. some distinct differences. uh, But um, so, you know, the smaller, so the way it works is that the smaller of a wing that you have, the faster you have to go. Because if you think about it, your weight is your wing. So if you weigh 160 pounds, 170 pounds, that's what the hydrofoil has to lift a hydrofoil Mm -hmm. always has to provide your weight in lift. Otherwise you're going to either pop, if it provides more, you're going to come out of the water. If it provides less, you're going to come down. So whenever you're foiling, you know exactly how much lift the wing is producing. It's your body weight. Uh, And the amount of lift that a wing produces, it's a very simple equation. It's uh, the lift coefficient, which is related to the angle of attack, uh, the surface area. So it's the coefficient of lift times the surface area, times the density of the fluid, which is water, that doesn't change, um, times the velocity squared. So the velocity, every single term in there, it's multiplied only by once. But with velocity, it's multiplied twice by that number, that's the velocity squared. So the amount of lift changes very rapidly as the speed changes, right? So in order to go fast, you really need a small wing because then, you know, it, because of that surface area term getting smaller, the velocity term has to get bigger. And it's uh, something that's referred to in aircraft design as wing loading. Okay, how many pounds per square foot of wing area do you have? And as your weight loading goes up, your speed goes up, you know? And uh, Mm. the only way to make a big wing go, try to make a big wing go fast is to get that angle of attack really low, which makes that coefficient of lift low. So that's, you know, another number. But then when you're really riding nose down like that, the wing starts to become kind of squirrely and you have the drag of the size of that whole wing. So what's become very clear around here is that the smaller wing you ride, the faster you go. And, and actually they don't ride that bad once you're up on foil. I think the only downside to riding small wings is getting up on foil, like getting up on foil can start to become a problem. And, uh, and because of this racing, yeah, because of this racing thing, people are now riding 540s, 520s for winging. Oh, whoa. So same same size that we were using for kite foil racing, basically. Yeah. And uh, I have a 590 prototype, which is basically the 700 scale down to 590. And I like it. Like, as long as you're powered up, it's not that hard to get up. On foil, and I would ride the 590 when it's windy, and and goddamn, it's fast. I mean, it it rips. It would, rips. Be. It would and be. It's. Uh, I would say it almost feels like an entirely different sport. Uh, like if you compare riding a 1500 or 1450 versus riding a 700 or 590, it's more dynamic. It's a lot faster. It's it. You know. It kind of makes it more like skiing, almost. Like that's mm, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think, and I was shocked when I went to the gourd. But so this is what's happening locally in my group of peers, the people I like to ride with, is that they're just pushing this, and they've pushed me. Like without them, I wouldn't have probably designed a 700, or it would have taken longer. The guys from Cabrina, like a brendan healy and evan netch also like started riding these small things and i said "Like, you can really ride these and they said yep that's the only wing i ride i only ride the 590 or in 600 i said really and they said yeah and like (laughs) of course they're great riders right yeah and they're powered i found i i mean i wouldn't consider myself anything special on the water i ride a lot and you know, I have sort of average athletic skills, I'm not a sure. sort of super athlete. But if you're at it long enough and you ride not. And I, I found like, yeah, yeah, 700's fine, 590 is fine. Sure. Uh, I did buy a race foil from a French company that, uh, well, it's AFS, bought the 560 race foil. Oh, okay. Okay. I saw that thing and they like, I was blown away about what. By the construction like what they did was just so extraordinary really uh so i said i i mean it just began it it i just saw it's like i must have so i nice. bought it and they they like rushed it to me from france and then the next day the day after i got it, it was really freaking windy out in the northeast i said All right, i'm riding this thing so i took it out i was super lit on a four meter man did i struggle to get up foil i could Dude. not believe Like it was so, and this is after having ridden 540s and 590s. And this was a 560. So it was a little bigger than the smallest thing I'd ridden, And I felt like I was pretty powered and the board was just skimming. And I still, I felt like, nope, this wing's not fast enough. And uh, then I finally got up on it and it was really loose, squirrely at low speed, super squirrely and then, you know, once you get it going 18 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, it locks in. And then okay. it just super slippery. Like it, huh. as, as much power as you can put down, it'll take it and go faster and faster and faster, particularly downwind. You get it in kind of downwind and you just sheet in harder and harder and it just goes faster. And I didn't blow a jibe the entire session. I didn't want to because I didn't want to face getting up on that freaking foil again. But you just roll into the jibe with speed and it holds speed so well because it's so low drag that you come out the other end real quick. You just don't let it don't let it get slow. That's all. But uh I just you know, the first 20 minutes I said, okay, uh this just isn't for me. Maybe this is for people in Europe or Saint or something. I'm I'm gonna go back and switch to my regular foil and, and call these guys and say, I've made a big mistake. You need to take this back before I hurt myself and give me my money yeah. back. And then by the end of the hour, and I was exhausted, like my heart rate was up. It's like it, I mean, it was Whitney, rough, you know. And by the end of the hour, I was like pushing it around and enjoying it. I, I decided to keep it. Uh but it's a tough foil that you do get to a point where it's hard to ride. Like it is mm-hmm. it is a challenge and you have to be up for it. And I don't, I don't think it's for most, I don't think that, fo- I wouldn't recommend that foil to most people. Some some people would enjoy it, but I think most people would not enjoy it. I'm not sure that I would enjoy it, honestly. It, it may be too much for me, but I thought I'd give it a shot to see if I could grow into it or not. Um, <laughs> But in terms of uh, people are very reluctant to drop down to a wing even as small as an 850. And I would say, don't be reluctant to ride an 800. Don't be reluctant to drive a 700. They're they, If they're well-designed, and I'm not saying, I can't say that every manufacturer has well-designed wings. That's clearly not the case. Many of them do. Some of them don't. You know, I have... Some foil brands that I really respect and some that I don't.
0: <laughs> uh, what would constitute to you well-designed? Uh,
1: I think an airfoil section that really works well, and that's not something that you can easily see when you look at a foil. Another thing that's really easy is, is it stiff enough? You know? Okay. And I think the... The a lower level of stiffness is required for wing foiling than for the kite foil racing, where it was so crucial for control at high speed. And the speeds for what the speeds that people are doing now in kite foil racing are really pretty crazy. It's like 26, 27 miles an hour upwind, downwind, 30, 40 miles an hour. It's it's nuts, just absolutely nuts. And to keep that under control, it needs to be rock solid. You know, uh, right now it's I think the Chubanga and the Levitas are kind of the two two foil brands that are IKA certified. It's the whole racing scene that's now sort of highly regulated. It's an Olympic. It's the Paris Olympics will have kite foil racing in it. Uh, peop, everyone in, in that class is aiming for the Olympics. You know, okay. the equipment needs to be registered and it needs to be IKA approved. And, you know, uh, it became, and it's, uh, it's tough for manufacturers and it, and now really the only competitive kite is, uh, the fly surfer BMG two. So in a way it, it like brands are driven out. There's, there's not a lot of money in serious racing, you know, because the people it's not for everybody. Go, well, no. it's, it's absolutely not for everybody, and the people that compete at a really high level get their stuff at a heavy discount. So, who actually pays retail for it, right? Uh, so, yeah, uh, but no, I would. I've had like that that guy that I talked about switching boards with. He rode the seven hundred straight off, and when he was trying to make the buying decision for a Delta, I said. Just get the 850. He said, maybe I should get something bigger. I was like, just get the 850, you know, and he's entirely happy with it. And then he says, should I get a bigger wing uh, for light air? I said, no, get a really high quality 6.5 meter hand wing and
0: use that for light air. With the 8. Okay, so that's what you You prefer. Yeah. At the AWSI, I tried the Silk 850. And I went out on a 60 liter apple tree board, I believe. And like, I, I'm I'm still riding a, a, a bigger wing from Armstrong. But so I, I wanted to see how slow I could go with it. What kind of attack, kind of like if you angle attack a little bit, will it yeah, drop yeah. out of the air? All those kind of tests. It rode phenomenally. Like I was very, very impressed with their 850. It was beautiful. Um, it wasn't out of control like I had thought. And, and, and the glide and everything, it was a mid-aspect. It's their, it's their newer one, their monoblock there that they came out with, and I, I was I was very happy with it. Really, I, really I good. I think
1: if you tried a Delta 700, you'd be shocked. Like, maybe seen, yeah. but this is what surprised me that uh, when I was out at the gorge, I saw, like, the local guys, what they were riding, were like, it was a lot of Armstrong gear, And big wings, like these sort of mid-aspect 1800s, and they were pretty thick. I mean, really a high drag setup, you know? And that was extremely popular with fairly skilled riders, honestly. Like, good people that were solid on the water were riding that, and... You know, coming from this area where everyone is just going smaller and smaller, faster and faster, and oh, not on eh? board with it, like I was shocked. Like, what are these people thinking? Mm. And it, 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 I think it comes down to just like a local flavor, you know? Like yeah, it could be if that's yeah. the gear that, like, wow, well, I really respect Ted, and Ted says that you know Armstrong's the way to go, and and they particularly have a very cult following. I mean, they, yep. People that are loyal to them are loyal to them, you know, oh, yeah. people that are loyal to Axis are loyal to Axis and it's, it's just, it's fascinating people, how that works. People that ride Delta are very loyal to Delta, but there's far fewer of them. <laughs> 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 and, I, and that's something I'd like to change. Uh,
0: and I think the quality of the product is really good. We're yeah. So what, what separates you or what makes Delta unique per se compared to some of these other brands? Yeah, I do think that the wing de- designs are really like the
1: best. I mean, there's nothing in terms of designing this thing. I, I don't really think that there's anything better. I mean, there may be things that are equal to it or close to it, but there's nothing that really eclipses it. And I think also our wing line and our foil line is very simple. And I think. A lot of consumers are getting very confused by having a choice of 20 different wings, 18 different stabilizers, three different fuse links, four different strut links. And particularly, I think uh, I'm not a big fan of just the pick a stabilizer game. It seems mm. silly to me. Uh, they may have slightly different feels and maybe people that ride at a much higher level than I do are really onto something that I just don't can't feel or don't understand. But for me, uh, one of the things, uh, I would rather make sure that a stabilizer is adjusted at the proper angle relative to the front wing rather than go pick another stabilizer. Like, before you spend $400 or $300 on another stabilizer, why don't you tune the stabilizer you have so it's dead nuts perfect. And I have a bunch of videos out there on how to tune using shims. Okay, you know, I mean, we can go through that and I'd be more than happy to have another video out there if it reaches someone that that hasn't. But, you know, uh, really, if you, uh, and then there's so much misinformation. Like uh, I, sort of preparing for this talk, I thought I should watch some YouTube videos of what other people are saying about hydrofoil setup. And uh, there's some really cringe-worthy stuff out there. People that don't know what the hell they're talking about, but they're still talking, and and they're they're talking as if they know what they're talking about. It's I hear stuff like oh, this stabilizer had so much more lift. The whole foil produced so much more lift. Um, the stabilizer doesn't produce lift. It pushes down. It, it, okay. it produces the opposite of lift. It's a downforce at the back. you know. So how is a stabilizer going to produce more lift? The way it produces more lift is that it produces more downforce, which basically sets the front wing at a higher angle of attack and then you feel like the foil produces more lift. The stabilizer doesn't produce it. So, the way a stabilizer works, um, let me grab one. So, first of all, you have to understand that a wing is kind of like this. And, you know, the hollow part of the airfoil is at the bottom, and the top surface is curved because that's how you produce lift. The, the stabilizer is basically upside down like this is the curvy surface and the top is the flat surface so the stabilizer pushes down at the back of the fuselage when the angle of attack is negative it's it's not positive like the front wing it's the opposite so when the water hits this it pushes down right and it's counteracting some up bu- it's counteracting a couple of different forces. Uh, first of all, well, I don't know how, how in depth, but basically, it pushes down.
0: Yeah, go to town. And, like we, we got the time. I'm happy to hear.
1: If I'm not, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've been accused of talking uh, in too many details before. But no, that's basically fine. what the stable is So, interesting. One way of thinking about it, which I think is a really good way, right? So you have these things set up like this. This is pushing up. This is pushing down. Basically, what this stabilizer does is it sets the angle of attack of the front wing. So if you okay. have a lot of down angle like this, it's going to make the front wing ride very nose up. Right? And the best way of really understanding this is just experiment with it. Like take a, take a little sheet of plastic from an expired credit card or gift card, and you could put it under the back. And you can increase that angle so you're increasing the downforce. And ride your hydrofoil like that and see what it feels like. And what you'll feel is that you're always on your front foot trying to keep the foil from coming up out of the water. You're going to mm. have a lot of front foot pressure, right? And it's going to feel like, oh my God, the wing is so lifty, the wing is so lifty. But it's also very slow. And you'll have very poor speed range. like. It'll be okay at low speed. It'll be very stable. You know, The pitch will be very bushy. It won't be responsive at pitch at all. So in a way, that's easy for a beginner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you try to power up, you'll, you won't be able to go fast because as soon as you speed up, it's going to just want to push you out of the water. And if you do it strapless, like you think, oh, I can compensate. I'll just stand further forward. It doesn't feel good. It's still not right even though now you've got your weight further forward compensating for the excessive front foot pressure the foil's just not riding right and then you know you could use even two pieces of credit card or something back there just make it extreme so you can feel what it's like and then take that same piece of plastic and put it under the front and and try that right and then so if you take it too far that way, now the stabilizer isn't producing very much downforce at all. And what will happen is that you'll find that all of a sudden the board is touching down all the time. Like hmm. you'll have to shift your weight back and but even then like all of a sudden like you'll have a lot of board touches and also the foil will feel very sensitive to pitch. Like you'll have to make a lot of tiny micro adjustments and again, I think the best way to do this is without straps. Uh, if you if you're comfortable riding without straps, that way you can micro adjust your feet to be anywhere you need to be on the board. And but you'll still feel these trimming differences. If you get it exactly right, and you know, uh a credit card is pretty thick. Uh you could even go to thinner shims to micro adjust it like a a piece of uh water bottle. You know, single-use water bottle. You can cut a square out of that. That's thinner. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just get it adjusted. When you get it exactly right, your foil will feel so fast and just lively over the entire speed range. It'll feel good, going slow, moderate, and the top end, the foot pressure will not change over the entire speed range. And it'll feel great. It'll feel responsive, quick. So my question to all these people that try stabilizers are like, did you adjust it? Like that stabilizer that you're trying, did you adjust the angle so that it's exactly right? Because if you didn't and you're trying four different stabilizers and you find one that makes your foil feel great, Maybe that was the only stabilizer that was at the right angle. Okay. Right? So if you're gonna yeah. compare stabilizers, and I'm not against I absolutely, absolutely support people experimenting with their gear. I I love that. Everyone should do that, right? Once you're at the level that you can feel what it does. Uh it's not something that you want to do as a beginner, obviously. For uh, sure. But just if you're going to compare stabilizers take the first stabilizer and find exactly the right shims that make that foil as lively and responsive and you know adjusted as it can be your favorite shimming for that stabilizer take the second stabilizer you want to test and go through that same experimentation to find exactly the right shims for that Take the third and write it down so you know, okay, this number of shims for this one, this number of shims for that one. Do it for the next one. And then once you have the perfect angle for each single stabilizer, then compare them. Okay. Properly shimmed. And now you're really comparing apples to apples. Because Uh. otherwise, I, I can tell you we offer, right now we're offering two sizes of stabilizer, but we're gonna be offering more. Uh, I do it reluctantly because I, I don't think it's that critical of an aspect of it, but people are demanding it. And, uh, the industry trend right now is towards smaller stabilizers. And unless you offer it, your stuff looks out of date and people look at it. Okay. Oh, that doesn't look too good. I don't think I'm going to buy that. So, you know, there are pressures and I will admit that, uh, yeah, you can, I think you can ride smaller stabilizers, uh. And and certainly, higher-skilled people can write smaller stabilizers, no problem. The other thought process is that a smaller stabilizer is much faster, and I hear this all the Mm. time. Oh, I tried the stabilizer, oh, it's so much faster. It's like, did you measure it with your GPS and compare that measurement with the other one? No, it just feels faster. It might feel faster because it's less stable, that it's more responsive, right? Now, like you have a more responsive foil at 18 miles an hour. It feels faster than the more stable one at 18 miles an hour. You're actually going exactly the same speed. And uh, Devin Mance actually did a video, I think three years ago or something like that, where he compared a number of stabilizers of different sizes. And he was really surprised, but he did it scientifically. He measured the speed. He actually did it using camera timestamps around a course. And what he found was that there was no no difference in speed for what he was doing, which is pump foiling, which is relatively low speed. So it's mm-hmm. a specific result to that, right? He found no difference. He was extremely surprised. He thought there was going to be a difference in speed. There was no difference in speed between the biggest one and the smallest one. And then he did something else. He tried shimming. And what he did is he shimmed to the front of the stabilizer, reduced the downforce. And then he found a difference in speed. So tuning the stabilizer can result in a dramatic difference in speed. Now, if you go to a smaller stabilizer, there is less surface area. So there will be a reduction in speed. And I don't deny that. But I will say that it might not be all that significant. And there are manufacturers uh, that I respect. They're, they're the, I was watching a video from Code Hydrofoil. And I haven't ridden one, but their hydrofoils look great. You know, And what they are saying makes sense. I think their design philosophy is right on target. Their construction looks good. Um, but they seem very focused towards downwind paddling. Uh, so it, it may be different. I don't know if really. How, uh, you know, what they're offering for winging. I, I don't know that much about their company, but they came out of there. This was a comparison of three stabilizers. And I think like it was a 140, a 150, or 160, or sizes close to that. But I mean, it was 10 square centimeter increments, tiny, right? Absolutely tiny. And is it really going to make a drag difference? Like you could ride two inches higher on your strut. And reduce the wetted surface area on your mast as much as reducing this, and is that that much faster? I don't know. And as I said, you know, I do, I wing foil, I kite foil. I'm kind of an advanced intermediate guy. I'm not ripping waves. I'm not denying that people that are like very dependent on very fast maneuvers in a wave or downwind subfoiling, that there might that they might prefer one stabilizer to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. But these claims that like, oh, this stabilizer created so much more lift or this stabilizer is so much faster when no one bothers to measure the speed. Like so these are unsubstantiated claims.
0: And I'm an engineer and I'm a scientist and I don't like that Get no, up. fair enough. So, what's like every obviously there's positive shimming and negative shimming, and there's an yep. angle of attack that's set by the front wing. Yep. Um, so, then just by playing with that pitch, you're going to get some differences. That, that makes yeah. Sense. On
1: most foils, you can put uh, you can adjust the shim on, on the back. Um, there's certain foils where it's not adjustable. Okay. You know, there's so- certain brands that have a tailpiece with the stabilizer attached. Uh, there's certain foils that are just the bottom is one piece, like the Mike slab. There's no adjustment at all But Mike does a pretty nice job of, of setting up his foils, So there shouldn't be a problem in most cases, unless you get, like he's doing a prototype or something where he doesn't know where it should be. Uh, and you know, like lift foils, I don't think it's adjustable. Uh, like the tail piece and the thing is one, one piece. You might be able to somehow, you know, yeah.
0: I think AFS gave you the option with the 850, but they had set it up and he was saying it was perfectly balanced.
1: It might be. It might be. I it like if, it, yeah, if you're providing a complete foil and it, and I have to say, like, some brands are very good at testing, you know, yeah. like, I, I see. The videos of what Ken Winner does in developing the Duotone wings, I think he's an amazing self taught engineer. I mean, and just the level of testing, and it shows in the performance of the product, there's no doubt, you know. And I know other brands are very serious about testing, but as far as the uh, hydrofoils for some brands that mostly offer wings or kites, and then they have to have a hydrofoil. It, it can be kind of a toss-off
0: product. Like we need a four-line, yeah. you know? Fair enough. And
1: then um also it when you get into a situation where the big three, like would be Axis, Armstrong, SAB, they order they offer 20 different wings, they offer 12 different stabilizers, they differ offer different fuselage lengths, they offer different mass lengths. By the time you pick your wing, your stabilizer, your fuselage, your mass. There's absolutely no certainty that the stabilizer. How could there be? How could you? How could you do it? How How would it work? That every wing, every uh, particularly fuselage length is going to have a huge influence because now you're changing the length of the lever arm that the stabilizer is working against, right? So you could have. So basically, what I do is I compensate. So if I offer a smaller stabilizer, I'll design the wing saddle area so that it will have an increased angle to compensate for the reduction in area. Okay. So, and then when I offer a longer fuselage, like for instance, this is for the M-frame setup. Uh, So this is sort of the kite foiling length. And then this is the typically the wing foiling length, which is about, you know, I don't know, what is that? I'd say five inches longer, maybe, right?
0: Okay. So
1: uh the angle of attack on this one in the saddle will be less than on this one. So there'll be more downforce to compensate for the reduction in, in lower arm. Uh so I try to make it so that they'll all work, but it also depends. I think beginners and intermediates like a little bit more stabilizer angle because it makes the foil more stable. Whereas okay. when you get a little bit more advanced, I I find I really need to shim on the on production delta stuff. I do one shim under the front of the stabilizer. I really like it like that. And uh, so you know, there's just a certain amount of personal preference, but again. I'm a very, I mean, I talk about this over and over and over again, adjust your stabilizer. And, uh, I even have like the best thing, if you're really going to get serious about it is you can make a tool to measure the angle between the front wing. And it's, uh, basically a, a metal caliper Okay. and, uh, you cut little notches. actually, I, I grabbed the wrong one. This one doesn't have them, but. You take a file and you file a V-notch in both jaws. And then what you can do, you can take a a hydrofoil like this one, which is assembled. And you can clamp those V-notches into the front and into the back so that this is now held tightly at the angle of the wing. And I kind of wish I had the right caliper instead of the wrong one. This is what I got. And then there's uh, one of these automatic level gauge. Uh, The brand I like is called a Wixie. The cheap Harbor Freight ones don't work. They're not accurate enough. But basically what you can do is you, this has magnets in it. So this just clips to the top and you turn it on. Was it turn on? All right, now it's on. So you turn it on, and then this little button is the zero. So now you have a zero angle for this. And then what you can do is you move this thing to your stabilizer, and you can get the angle measurement relative to the front weight. Normally, it's it can vary, but uh, generally around two and a half degrees is pretty typical. And uh, okay, it's also different depending on what you're doing. Like, if you're wing oily, uh, I would say two and a half degrees, 2.8 degrees. Um, uh, maybe on a short fuse with a really small stabilizer, it could be three and a half degrees, but it's good to know what it is. And then when you shim it, you measure it again and you can keep notes. And then, you know, if you're switching wings, you're switching setups. They just keep track of what you prefer. Um, I was talking to Kane while at uh, AWSI, mm-hmm. and um, he's a very talented engineer, very smart guy, and uh, he's done a lot of pioneering work in the downwind paddle area and also you know, with me for and in general for surf and uh, using really small stabilizers now on it man, you got to be running a high angle of attack with a stabilizer like that. And he says, no, not really. Like A lot of times I'll run a degree and a half. I've even run zero degrees. And I was really confused by it. Uh, I didn't understand it. It was so different from my experience. And then I realized he wasn't really talking about wing foiling. He was talking about downwind paddling. And the thing is that one of the things that the stabilizer produces downforce to counter is the thrust from the wing. So if you think about it, the driving force to make this thing is at shoulder height, right? So you have this force pulling you and that force is at your shoulders. You're standing on top of the board, so between your shoulders. And the soles of your feet is maybe five feet. And then you've got another three feet below that to get to your wing, right? And the drag from the hydrofoil is now eight feet below the thrust. So you have something pulling this way, eight feet up, and the thing that's pulling back is here. So what does that do? It wants to tilt it nose down.
0: And that's one
1: of the forces that the stabilizer is compensating for. But that doesn't exist in paddle foiling. He doesn't have that thrust line at his shoulders. He's basically gliding down the slope of water, right? So he needs a lot less uh, stabilizer because of that reason. And I'm really glad I talked to him and, uh, you know, and. It's great that he's, I mean, I'm very open to discussing hydrofoil designs with anyone. I, I, You know, if they're a competing brand they design, I'll talk hydrofoils with them. That's, why wouldn't I? That's what you love to I do. I like it, right? Yeah. And, and I want everyone to have better hydrofoils. I mean, I'd love if they buy Delta, but if they buy something else, because, you know, that's what people in their area ride that kind of foil. And that's what their local retailer sells that kind of foil that, fine I'd still want that foil to be as good as it
0: can be so I'm willing to share information at least with people I like uh well even when I had started um a couple buddies of mine had talked about you being that pioneer one of those pioneers with Delta so I'd heard about it a long time ago and I said his concepts and his engineering is phenomenal so definitely the word is out that 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 was the case which was was pretty cool to to meet you in person and chat with you at awsi and then get the chance to talk to you now it's pretty it's awesome
1: yeah i mean uh you know when i started with hydrofoils there were so many question marks you know it's uh it's interesting and you know the other thing about hydrofoils is that they all have this curvature now right they all kind of curve down and then they kind of flip up and i think it that was kind of uh the spots was uh, the first with the curve down, and then Mike Zajac actually pioneered this little flip-up thing. And the reason for that is that if you breach your foil wing like this, that it's a little bit more vertical, so it's more perpendicular to the surface of the water rather than if it's hooked down. And so uh, you know you don't tend to pull as much air down the wing uh, when it's more perpendicular like that. But okay. uh, yeah, straight, and you know, every single wing will pretty much have this curvature. And I really tried to make straight wings; they just don't work. Uh, and really, in kite foiling, the more curvature you have, sort of the more stable it is. But uh, I don't think we really want that much curvature uh, in wing foiling because we need the efficiency, you know. And uh, hey. this is one of the kite wings that we offer. This is the 860. And you can see how much curvature is in that. And there's also a a lot of sweep. So sweep is sort of that this goes back instead of being straight. And this also uh, is less efficient, wing sweep like this. Uh, But what I find with uh, kiting is that there's so much power from the kite. Uh, You know, you can dive the kite, and the kite pulls up so it's so easy to get up foil compared to winging that um, you know you you trade efficiency uh, for comfort you okay. know, f- for, for ease of use. but what's interesting is that you know this is the smallest uh, kite wing that we offer it's an 860 and now we offer a smaller <laughs> uh, winging weight right? Yeah. And actually, we're going to probably offer the 590 as well. So it's going to be quite a bit smaller. So uh, winging has changed a lot. Like winging has gone very high efficiency, very high aspect ratio. Uh, and it's good. And it's, it's Im- when I started winging, I, I, I kind of didn't like it. Uh, it was really hard to stay upwind at that time. Like Ooh. I always felt like I was struggling upwind. Uh, it was slow and draggy. Uh, I think there's been a lot of hand wing development. The hand wings have gotten really, really good. significantly
0: better. Really? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Yep.
1: And I think there's really two flavors now there's uh, deep, grunty wings, and then there's flat, sort of speedy wings. Uh, and, uh, I kind of like i think for my 6.5 meter i like kind of a deep grunty wing and then for my five meter my four meter and the smaller stuff i kind of like the the thin lifty wings uh they are harder to pump up onto foil but boy when they get going they just feel so light in your hands it's nice
0: yeah i like one now i ride the i ride for kt and and i ride the they have their three meter and it's super dirty and i love yeah. that aspect of it now with longer handles it pumps well but it just if i'm going into attack or i want to move around the wing is a lot more intuitive was and it? um and that's what i like about it but before when i was learning the swing or the the strike v1 it just sat there in the pocket unbelievably stable i love that at that time of writing yeah, but um, now i can't i don't like it anymore because i've progressed but i kind of like it i uh
1: I have the, the Duotone uh, D-Lab 6.5 Slick. Ah, okay, yeah, those are good wings. Oh, my God. That's such a game-changer for lightweight. It's, a, it's an expensive product, but it 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 is notable. It is notably good. Uh, and I fly it off the harness, and you can pretty much just release your hands, and it just stays. But with the type of wings that you're talking about, uh, and my other weights that I ride, which are smaller, like even if you're in the harness, there's still quite a bit of hand pressure just to stabilize the wing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I love that that much, okay. um, uh, and you know, but the, that the 6.5 meter slick is pretty grunty. It, yeah. It's really easy to pop up on the foil with that. Oh yeah. Big time. And then the other ones, but what I find is with the, the other wings I ride are much flatter. And yeah, they're tougher to get off foil. But actually, I find that the foil feels different riding that style of wing. Like the foil is loaded uh, more lightly because there's just not as much lured pull. It's more like a forward thrust. And Which it just, is. the foil itself feels different and more lively. I really enjoy it. Good. And those flatter wings also take, uh, heavy wind really well. Like you can, you can ride super lit. Like yeah. you can be out in a lot
0: of wind on a five meter, which that helps getting up. Yeah. The innovation coming forward, I'm I'm stoked about. Could we go a little bit into what did, did you release anything new at AWSI or or what's coming down the well, pipe for you? I think
1: the 590 is coming, and we're going to release probably two stabilizers, a 140 and a 160. All right. And uh, a lot of people have requested flat stabilizers. Yeah, flat stabilizers are great because they're easy to make. The molds are cheap. And I don't have anything wrong with flat stabilizers. I've used curvature. If you have curvature in your stabilizer, it provides some yaw stability, which is basically the nose going left to right on the foil. Okay. So it's okay, kind of like okay. doing the twist, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think the. The thing that makes us really unique uh, is the R-frame design. And I don't know how- Yeah, so what is that exactly? So basically, there is no joint between the mast and the fuselage. I think you could see that now in the light. (laughs) So almost every other foil manufacturer has some sort of connection here. Correct. So basically, the top of this is solid. There's no connection there. This is one piece all the way from the top plate to the wing saddle. And also, I elected to use a greater thickness of strut. It's 18 millimeters thick. Uh, But this airfoil section uh, for the mast or strut, however you want to refer to it, um, is well selected. So we never get any sort of ventilation flow separation, which some other brands that have 19, 20 millimeters thick struts, all of a sudden like air just comes sucking down thing. We never have that regardless of the speed. But what it's created by eliminating this joint, every single joint has a little bit of play regardless of how well it's designed. It just, you know, bolts actually stretch. It's like when you tighten out a bolt, it actually stretches a little bit and then when you put tension on it, stretches more. So there's always a little bit of give, and uh, and there's also breakage because there's a lot of warranty issues where if you think of the mask going into that slot, uh, so like our M frame, right? The mask slots into this. It's like a giant crowbar trying to pry this thing apart, you know, and eventually it does, like. Particularly, you know, if you run around a lot or you jump or you like, you'll just put tremendous stress and eventually they tend to crack around here and fail. And It's every brand suffers with these types of failures. I mean, I guess if you were to make this out of aluminum, you could be, you know, you'd be better off, but then you have to deal with that weight and the corrosion issues of aluminum. But I don't think that aluminum is necessarily a bad choice uh, if a company goes that way, but, um, you know, you just have to make sure that the stuff is rinsed properly. It, it is heavier. Uh, and then, you know, you can still travel with it because the tail boom comes off. So it disconnects here with two screws. Uh, so, you know, this front part is only this long, uh, so you can still travel with it without a problem. Uh, but what it's resulted in is, uh, the the mass is ex- astonishingly stiff, like crazy stiff. Um, and yeah, there is a tiny drag penalty of having a thicker mast, but you can go twenty four miles an hour on this no problem. You know, it's like, and honestly, most people aren't into going that fast. That's fast. So like, but I I like it. I enjoy it. But so I think whatever I think. I made the proper set of compromises on this setup, and uh, you know the the wing mounts with just three bolts. Uh, So this is really unique in the industry. No one really has this design, and uh, you can feel the stiffness. It it really it feels incredibly solid and stable. Uh, hmm. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to try it at AWSI,
0: you know? Yeah. I, well, I will next year when, when I yeah. see you then definitely. Yeah. But, um, wh- what do you think about the Armstrong setup where they have that, like that, uh, that fuse going through there? Or even I was talking to Omen the other day and and they did have that other setup, like the, your M1 that you have there, but they were using stainless steel. Well,
1: you know, what happens is like, you get stuck Like whatever you start with, you know, you're stuck with that uh, infrastructure that you set up and that if you change it, then all your stuff is no longer compatible, right? Yeah, exactly. I think always with that sort of socket system, it's really hard to get it dead nuts perfect, you know, because it's always a slip fit. And all the guys that ride go foils have mallets. Alex Aguera brings a mallet, and then you're hammering on. You're hammering the thing on, which isn't that bad, right? But then you have to hammer it off. So now you're kind of hammering on the trailing edge. That's not so great, you know. And let's face it, everybody. Uh, one of the things is because wing foiling wings are so much bigger span than kiting wings. The leverage on that joint is much higher than it's ever been. I don't think we had as much of a problem with it for kiting. And that's why the, that that's where the M frame comes. I mean, this type of setup with an aluminum strut, like I have it set up here. So uh, the M frame was uh, the original system we came up with. And uh, we have a carbon fiber type plate that mounts to aluminum and uh, also carbon fiber fuse. So it's all carbon except for the aluminum strut. And the aluminum strut has a much thinner wall, so it's quite light. It's actually not anywhere near the weight of a standard aluminum. And the fit on this thing is extremely tight. So I've actually had customers that say, this thing doesn't fit and it's that's how tight the fit is. That it's precise. And um, this works pretty well. And interestingly, as the wings are getting smaller for winging, I think this could start to work well again because there's less of these torsional forces. But, you know, with with aluminum, it's always a thing with corrosion. People don't rinse their stuff. Then the bolts are stuck in there. And, uh, but yeah this joint i was happy to get rid of it (laughs) you know but then you can't offer aluminum we only have it in eight and five centimeters uh maybe when it when we see a clear need for a very specific different height we might bring out a different length
0: mast um but 85 seems to kind of fit the bill I think it's a great height. That that's the standard yeah. that a lot of us are riding. Yeah. Even if it is some yeah. waves or swell, like that 85 yeah. is a nice height.
1: Yeah. But you know, if you it's uh I'm pretty happy with the way the aluminum came out, that the wall is maybe like a sixteenth of an inch. So there's really a lot of hollow in this. And it's really not it's not heavier, much heavier than our carbon. We also offer a carbon strut, which is interchangeable for this aluminum one. And you know the aluminum we offer in a bunch of links, we have it in 24 inches, uh, 28 inches, 32 inches, and 36 inches. So if someone has a very specific preference for a length, then they should do that in aluminum. Uh, and it's also pretty inexpensive. Uh, you know, our regular retail on the M frame is 1200 bucks, which is for, you know, high performance gear really is a good yeah, price. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Uh, yeah. And the R frame is, I think, 1950 50 complete. And we're also oh. now they're offering two other lengths of tail. Uh, we're offering a tail to make it sort of the same length as the kite foiling thing. But there's people that like really short fuselages now. So they might use that for winging as well. And then we have an intermediate-length tail that's coming out. So we have the short one, and we have the long one, and the intermediate one we'll probably have in a couple of months. Uh, And then we have the 2 new stabilizers that are coming out, probably the 590. I don't know how much of an audience we'll have for the 590. I don't know if it'll be popular. I know for sure, so many people would be happy with the 700. They may think that it's too small, but it's I just not the case. Yeah,
0: yeah. I love that 850. Yeah, they yeah. did a good job on it. I was, I was just overall, I, I'm yeah. used to riding a bigger wing. It gave me a lot of lift. It gave me a lot of glide. Um, yeah. So I think yeah.
1: Armstrong and a bunch of other brands are kind of and and Gofoil, they're kind of stuck with what they started with. And a lot of times, like, uh, I know Armstrong at some point changed that they had some bolts that went through from side to side. And like, now if you look at one of their setups, there's a lot of bolts going in at various angles. Um, there's been some people that, you know, have shown up, uh, with older foils from that manufacturer and. The fitment, the wing was very loose. In one case, the fuselage was actually broken inside of that sleeve that the mast attaches to, so you could just kind of wobble it. And they were, they were beginners. They had bought the gear used or whatever, and um, were struggling, you know. And if I could have repaired it, I, I, I would have repaired it for them, you know. But I just like it's too messed up. I can't, I can't fix this. I mean, you should just probably get a Delta. And again, immediately they saw a huge improvement. There are, there are a lot of people out there on gear. That's not set up, right. That's broken. That is maybe old and was not good. You know, maybe it was like the best that they had at that time, but there's a lot better gear now. And, uh, it really hurts beginners and intermediates like they can really have their progress impeded and they're not having fun. Like you're going out and you're falling and you're struggling and then you know it degrades your confidence. Oh, I suck. Like who beats that? You know? And so for me, and this is weird because I buck trends a little bit, right? Like I see this trend towards shorter and shorter fuselages, smaller and smaller stabilizers, and I said you're making the foil less stable, you're, you're making it harder to ride. And there's no doubt that these 18 year old hotshot guys that I see at AWSI doing forward flips, pumping up onto foil in flat water, doing amazing stuff, like they would prefer that. Like they need something that's ultra responsive, ultra turny. 90% of people don't need it and they don't want it. Like that's not going to serve that you know and yet there are a lot of influencers telling them no buy this little this is this will make you faster this will make you better you know I you know people want to sell things too like we're it's a business you know there's marketing and uh but yeah I don't know I I would I much prefer to set my customers up with something that's Gonna make them have more fun, and uh, and I've done it. I see it on a local level. People I interact with one to one, and I end up spending a lot of time with them. You know, and this is this is all about retailers. Retailers earn their money by spending time with the customer. It's you know and. I have really good relationships with uh, Green Hack Kiteboarding. They sell Delta. They believe in it. They've done a huge amount for me. And at AWSI, they come out and they test all the gear very thoroughly. And They sell stuff that they know it works and that it's going to work for their customers. And
0: that's how they get their repeat business. And I believe in that. So for a heavier rider, though, that wants to go out in pretty light wind, um I would recommend the 1740 at that point. Uh, for, like for beginners, I recommend
1: for someone that's 150, 140 to 180, 185, I would recommend the 1400, okay, which is, I call it a high aspect. It's a mid aspect, but it's a good wing. And you want to grow it. Uh, but then I would recommend that they maybe drop down to the 1050 or the 850 once they can once they can get up on foil fairly easily and ride and jibe and go back. Like I think um very I you know my doctor rides Delta. I got him into Ten. foiling. He was a kite or he was a kite boarder. He twin tipped. And the thing is that around here it blows twelve miles an hour and he shows up with his twin tip, he can't go out. And you know, we're out there on foils ripping it up and uh I said, You're good enough to do this. I mean, it, it, you know, kite foiling looks hard and people are intimidated by it. I said, You can learn this. I'll set you up with gear. You learned it. And he learned to kite foil pretty quickly. And then the winging came along. And I said, Yeah, you should go for it. I can recommend gear. Uh, I sent him to Green Hat and I sailed with him yesterday. You know, it was two o'clock. The wind filled in, it was long well, 13, 14. And uh, we went out and uh had a blast Uh, you know big smile coming back into the beach and said i'm so glad you got me into this (laughs) you know and so that's kind of what i'm in it for uh and i I feel like i can't help a huge number of people but i've helped four or five you know and hopefully green hat is doing that too and other people that ride delta are spreading the word uh so yeah it's uh it's good, and you know our manufacturing is good. I think I think our approach is good, and I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, sell shorter fuselages and smaller stabilizers to people that are looking for higher performance stuff. And obviously, if I'm offering a 500 at 700, and I'm recommending them, then yeah, Delta is performance gear. It's but it also works for beginners. That's that's the thing, you know. And you're not paying a premium to do it. Like, yeah, you, could, you can buy a closeout unit right now. There's so many sales and closeout stuff. But a lot of the closeout stuff, maybe it works okay, or maybe it's not great. But I suspect that if you buy the closeout stuff, as you get better, you'll outgrow it. And you'll have to buy better stuff down the line
0: anyway. And it may impede your learning. It, it may make it harder. So Yeah, that's what Richard was saying from AFS when I talked to him. His recommendation was going for slightly higher quality. Something that you enjoyed to ride was higher performance, and he felt it would last a lot longer. Um, And that was his take on it for sure. Yeah, Same that's yours. my take. I, I like quality. You know, I mean,
1: I ride the Alula Wings, and I like them, and I pay extra for them. Unfortunately, the the sad reality is that these wings, if you ride off it, you know, if you do 20 sessions a year, maybe you do 40 sessions a year. I don't know. I I, you know, I probably ride 30, 40 times a year. Okay. Uh, they they wear out, they blow out, the canopy stretch and the performance degrades a lot. Mm -hmm. You go much slower, they're much less forward, uh, they're draggier. It's not that they like pop and, or tear or wear out and you can't use them anymore. It's just that they don't perform anymore. And uh, I'm kind of hoping that uh, there's some manufacturers, Ocean Rodeo for one, but there are others that are incorporating new materials into the canopy, which I hope will preserve the performance for at least a couple of seasons rather than just one. If you're someone that rides ten times a year, you probably get two years out of the wing. It's hard because you pay a lot of money for these wings and like like, yeah, you know, I so I bought three I bought three Alula wings. It was six thousand dollars, and that lasted one season.
0: Yeah. And and the resale
1: value on these used wings is close to nothing, which is what it should be.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I can't,
1: you know, yeah, that's
0: fair. That's fair. Well, is there anything else you want to to cover? We've been talking for a while. It's been an awesome chat. Well, I think you know, uh,
1: just that I have tremendous gratitude for uh, being able uh, to be kind of on the front end of this stuff because, uh, you know, I was able to get into windsurfing just as windsurfing was kind of taking off and shortboards were happening. I was super passionate about windsurfing. I thought I'd be oh, doing nice. it my whole life, you know. Then kiting came along, and I got in on that probably earlier. Than, it probably would have <laughs> – I would have had less injuries and less uh, post-traumatic stress Holy if I had got, gotten it. <laughs> once they had, like, uh, you know, deep power systems and chicken loops like that could be open. Oh, yeah. Two meters
0: – t- sorry, two-line five meters would have been terrifying yeah well, then I started flying ram air kites that were
1: too okay. uh, and you know that were designed for ice and snow but it was a good time. It was scary at times, but uh and then yep. you know, I got going super early in the kite foiling stuff, and then right at the beginning of the weight foiling I mean i it's I've made so many friends
0: and had so many good
1: times. I just feel really blessed I've been able to do it
0: yeah did you ever think your early career would lead to to like promoting joy in this way or or that you would have such a a rich journey through the whole thing
1: yeah i hoped i would
0: i I felt like when i
1: was sailing small boats and racing small boats and i loved it but you know the performance they're slow and it's like a lot of work and uh Then the windsurfing seemed like the next thing, and it it was fast. You were really powered up and you're just banging over the water. And uh, then the kiting thing came, and that you had the lift. But I think my whole life, what I really wanted was the hydrofoil. And eventually I got it, you know? And then eventually I was one of the people that really kind of brought it to fruition. and it has like uh, i the the one takeaway from AWSI is my god this is a hydrofoil show <laughs> yeah 100% <laughs> you know it's like it's a hydrofoil show and, and we didn't see that when it was kiting when it was just kite foiling like kite foiling was a little segment of kiting it was never more than like a third of it if that but with wigging, all winging
0: is foiling. Mm-hmm. It's it's a precursor to yeah foiling and then foiling. in its basic essence surfing.
1: Yeah. yeah, and now well now we're seeing Fo- it like now we're seeing it go in entirely other directions. Like yeah, it's winging, but you know now the hottest thing, presumably, and I don't know how big this really will be, is the downwind power foiling. Uh, yeah, but I think it
0: people that do it really love it and uh i hope it becomes big you know there's a lot of logistics to it like it's not you can't do it everywhere you got to have an easy entry point upwind downwind you got to have cars you got to have all that stuff but it it seems yeah you never know something might come
1: along like maybe like a super small deployable kite that would get you downwind that you could just i saw a video they had like like a very basic kind of small kite that they could get up on foil. And they just snuffed it right down into a bag. Like, you yeah, know, it was okay. so small. So you never yeah. know where these things go. And like Yeah, you're right. And, uh, the, you know, surf foiling itself is starting to take off.
0: Oh like,
1: yeah. You know, paddling in prone or paddling in on a paddleboard that's a foil or, or getting towed in, uh, yeah, well, you're seeing Kai Lenny hydrofoiling big waves because you need the speed. You know, it's just and not just Kai. There's obviously other people. There's a lot. Yeah, he's the you know a big popularizer of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really grateful for all of it, and you know, I think also winging is a kind of saving the industry. We need that growth. I'm told that, you know, kiting is still more than winging right now. There's still more kites sold worldwide. And certainly, you know, I love kiting. I'm not keeping it up. I actually kited this afternoon. It was blowing about 10, 12 miles an hour. I was ripping it up. it was phenomenal. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh I kind of enjoy it all. And maybe I'll learn how to downwind subfoil. I love it. Uh, so yeah. All my friends are from wind sports. And I had a prior career. You know, I was in metal finishing, electroplating, and I taught at a university as an adjunct professor for 20 years. Had a lot of students, enjoyed that. Uh, but, and some, I think after 20 years of doing one thing, you're kind of ready to do something else. And I was definitely, I had invented a bunch of technologies in that industry as well. It was really successful. And, and it was worthwhile work uh but i had this passion for wind sports i was always sneaking out of work at three o'clock <laughs> and my freaking you know and i could get away with it like no one said anything but man my coworkers just hated it like, that guy just leaves whenever he wants to leave nothing happens that guy's an asshole <laughs> but it's so fun, man. <laughs> yeah. But I felt guilty. Like, you know, and at that time I had a young family and my wife, And I would blow out of work at three o'clock, you know, and then go down to the beach. Of course, you know, my young child is at home with my wife. Right. Who's ready for a break from childcare and I'm on yeah. the water and like I'm parking illegally on a side street to sneak down to the beach. Like, like, why do I feel so guilty, dude? You ditched work. (laughs) You ditched your family. You're parked illegally. You're not even supposed to be here. That's why you're feeling guilty,
0: you know. (laughs) So, yeah, it makes sense that you would want to start your own company and be involved. Then then I was ready.
1: I was ready, and I looked. You know, I looked at that old carafino foil, and it was so conspicuously not hydrodynamic. You know, there were so many things that just looked wrong about it. And uh, I was ready to take it on at that point. You know, I think maybe it was a little bit of a midlife crisis. I think I was just around 50 years old at that time. And, and I had the energy to do it. And uh, I put a lot of passion and work into it. And learned a shitload. Um,
0: so, and, you yeah, know. Started at 50. Tri- yeah. yeah well, oh, good to, for you. Well, That's with a- the business. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a good lesson for a lot of kids now who who uh, the lack of motivation and and the drive to do stuff is at such a high level now. I, I it's don't nice know. to hear this. I, I it see. Depends where like, you're, I on see the, on guys, Vancouver Island, yeah, it's it's been it's, sometimes it's tough to see the kids. Yeah, it's tough. First of
1: all, are sports too expensive. Like we really lack yeah. like the young people you see are people that grew up in families that were water sports families. Yeah. Very true. Uh, and they're industry sponsor, like and probably not enough to support them, but you know, they get their gear, they get, maybe they get some travel money, right? but, but like a not super talented person that just grows up somewhere. Maybe they live, you know, a half an hour from the water, you know, their parents are both working and like, well, how much does it, it looks fun, how much? And you tell them, well, it's $5,000. It's yeah. like, well, that's not possible.
0: Like like, like 500 would be a lot, you know what I mean? It's- yeah. Did I, you I, see the post by Taddy Fran, Franz there, Franz? Um, he posted that on Facebook and that was the exact point he was making was that on Bon Air it's like sure this is amazing i love this gear but not everybody's fortunate enough to be sponsored or to get gear at a discount or for free yeah will this gear ever drop in price do you think it will ever drop in price or well, it has now it, <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah. like
1: yeah. yeah like now you could you know i mean yeah about fair this enough time, like you used? can get no you can get brand new like there are going to be package deals that are just above two grand for a board a foil, and a wing and you know, will it be great stuff? It'll be adequate stuff. You know, if you're an athletic kid and, and you know, and, and you're into it, you could make that work. You can get foiling, you know, is $2,000 still too much for a kid. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, and it's the same with surfing. It's the same thing with kiting. And you know, in terms of kids on islands, you know, I spent a little time on Union Island and you know they desperately like bicycles that we throw away bicycles that you see on curbs kids in those islands would love to get a bicycle like that right the problem is that those islands all have incredible import tariffs so you can't bring it in as a sellable good no, no matter how cheap like the tariffs are really really high you know And there are people, I know people that go to the Caribbean, they've got kite stuff, they leave their stuff there. Like, they'll bring some old stuff and they'll leave it, but the thing is, the stuff wears out, the bladders pop, and now they just don't have the skills to maintain the equipment. And this is the same with surfing. There's people that are working to get kids on Tahiti and various other islands, like to get them surfboards. surfboards compared compared to what this sport's about surfboards are cheap right like what's yeah. a new surfboard 400 it's still too much yeah for you know so yeah I see what you're saying it's a difficult thing i would really like to see some accommodation to be made where you could gather there's so much used kite surf stuff that still would be safe You know it's got a d power system it's got a chicken hoop that works maybe it's 10 years old but 10 year old kites are still safe (laughs) and people are just throwing them out like then no one wants to buy that there's no resale value Why? you know if we could get that kind of stuff put it in a container and and ship it to these places and make it some but there would have to be someone that oversees it instruction program Maybe a destination place, you know, that runs. It's a lot of work. It would be It, is. it would be a full-time yeah. job to provide opportunities for kids in those locations to do it. And then really their only way forward is to be in the industry, like to be a sponsored writer. At, you know, you have to be pretty, you have to have some talent in order to compete at those levels. And th- there's a number of people that do. Yeah, that's true. You know, and and it's showed them the world and it's, but yeah, uh, I mean, sadly, those places are still afflicted with what colonialism did. You know, those people were exploited. And then when you could make sugar in some cheaper way in some other place, they're just abandoned. uh, Yeah. I mean, Haiti is maybe one of the saddest examples. And mm-hmm. you know, that place was based on they actually had conditions were so bad that there was a slave rebellion and they built their own republic after having a revolution. But because of that, they were pretty much marginalized by every country that was depending on that sort of cheap labor. And uh, you know, sadly, yeah, conditions that's where we are. are very bad. So yeah, uh, it, these things, Yeah, I mean, it's too expensive for young people in the United States. And young people in the United States are some of the most affluent people in the world. So, you know, if you go to other places in the world, it will be worse. Um, Oh, yeah.
0: No, but I guess you are right in saying that as gear progresses, then hopefully over time that we will get more and more... Like options that are coming in at a lower price point as things progress. It's, it's only already natural. There. I mean, we're there. It's only we natural. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We don't have to wait for that.
0: You know, yeah. we have that now. You can, you can mm-hmm.
1: get pretty, you, if you want to get a wing foiling setup with one wing uh, and the worn and a foil, uh, you can get that for $2,000. You know, there are options for doing it. Uh, you could do some used things. There's marketers from China doing direct marketing into the United States that are doing that, you know, is yeah, that's that, true. that's not great for the industry, the U S industry, the retailers that, you know, they copy an existing, like a very typical thing is that they copy like a Nash thruster and now they're selling, you know, on Alibaba, you can get a copy of a Nash thruster for. Four hundred bucks or something, and some people do wing here or
0: wing hire brand. Yeah, they're yeah they're they're from China. They're fairly they're fairly low price, but still to get started, you know what? They're fine. My buddy has one on Vancouver Island, and and I was riding KT, and it was a more powered up day, and obviously mine performed better, but his yeah. was fine. Like if you want to get up and just move, there's nothing wrong with that. Like the the first versions of the Nash were these little bed sheets. Which powered up in 25 knots, you can pump them in low wind, but who cares? You could still get going in higher wind. It just yeah. depends what you want to do.
1: It's tough to learn. Yeah, it, it's, it's it is. It's tough to learn. But, yeah. and, um, but, you know, if you're super motivated, you can do it. It's. Yeah. Yeah. My situation is, you know, I mean, uh, I can afford the sport. That's. And I, I, I mean, how much have I spent on gear over the last 40 years, so much, so much. Yeah, no kidding. No. The, the stuff, when I got out of windsurfing, I just gave the stuff away for, you know, and I knew how much every, I had carbon masks, $400 for a mast you know, $500 for a carbon, all that stuff was, every sale was $500, $600. I just gave it all away. And even that, even that wasn't that easy. Uh-oh because, you know, the stuff's kind of out of
0: date. Yeah, there are many windsurfers left. I still windsurf and I just got myself my first skinny carbon boom this year. And yeah, it's a thousand bucks and uh, you put your pennies away and and then you super appreciate it when you pick it up. But um, I'm just so happy that there's options out there for people to experience a little bit more, a little more happiness, a little more get outside. The community is phenomenal. So for that stuff, I'm super thankful for for pioneers and for people like yourself that have dedicated a lot of their time and, and put resources behind it just to do this, you, you know, didn't have to do this. You could have done other things, but you no, know, I wanted to do it. <laughs> there you, there you and, go. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My wife, we we've, I've been married for over thirty
1: years, and uh, hey, congrats. And uh, you know, someone asked her, like, you know, how did well, why is how is it that George like learned how to do this? And she said he was born to do. This. Like, this is what he was born to do. And she's right. This is, you know, when I was in industry, I went, I visited electronics plants all around the world, but I don't know. I didn't have a, I mean, I did have a passion for my work, but I didn't have a passion for being inside of electronics plants. You know, now when I test my uh, engineering designs, I have to put on sunblock, you know, I have to travel someplace warm, So. It's all a whole different story. But I'm glad you brought up windsurfing because I had such a passion for it. And there was something really special about just hanging off the boom, like being in the straps and just like committing your weight and being lifted by that sail. Oh yeah. But yeah. I get it from winging now. Like I get that same sensation. It's, it's brought me full circle. It's oh, so close awesome. to windsurfing in a way, you know? Yeah. so closer
0: yeah yeah if you're hooked in
1: yeah yeah right i'm you know i ride hooked in all the time i anyone that will ask me i'll recommend that they get an harness it it helps with getting up when you ride up it just takes the pressure off your hands you can ride longer for me at this point um the one thing about winging is it's pretty physical i would say that it's it's higher exertion than the kite foiling uh, maybe not the kite foil racing, but like just recreational kite foiling, you don't even break a sweat really if you do it right. Uh But the winging is definitely like a higher exertion level. Uh, I find it challenging. I can't, I can't do like two hour sessions, but it is phenomenal for fitness, you know. And I ran into Mike Zajac who does Mike Slab's foils, and I mean he rides, he sails, he foils, you know, but. I saw him this year and he looked really fit. It looked like he had lost some weight, you know, and I mentioned it to him. He says, oh, no, it's the same. I haven't changed. No, he lost, he looks fitter. He lost weight. And I think it's winging. Like you get out there and you just want to do it. And you're exercising at a high level of exertion for like, would you run for two hours? How much fun yeah. would it be to run for two hours? You know, like you wouldn't do it. So yeah I think all in all it's good and uh, I plan to be at it for as long as I can. I often wonder like is there more to do like is, is hydrofoil design? Like you could say there's nothing really new in windsurfing sales, right or windsurfing. Like at some point it's complete. I think maybe we're getting close, you know like, but I think they'll maybe they'll just be different applications like this downward paddling thing, or maybe the place for the most development is surfing, uh, because I think it's the hardest thing to quantify. Because people that surf, it's all about the feel like I feel this, I feel that. And I don't discount what they feel on the water, but it's extremely difficult then to act on it, to improve it. Like I don't. Really know how to make a physical change in the foil to improve what they'll feel, you know. Okay, and that's the hardest. Like, if you're just trying to go faster, then there's it's pretty clear what you need to do. Uh, or if you want a foil that gets up sooner, it's pretty clear what you need to do. in terms of control and maneuverability, it's it's a lot more subtle. So. Maybe there is still room for improvement. Uh, About four years ago, I got the opportunity to ride a Spots One, which was like the original foil I started with 10 years ago. Oh, cool. And I was shocked at how hard it was to ride and how slow it was. (laughs) And this was a race foil. Yeah. And it was freaking difficult to ride. Really hard to control it. And it was also very slow. And now... Looking at it, I can see what was wrong with it. Like, it had way too much camber in the wings. It wasn't stiff enough and various other things. You know, the, the strut and the the wing were too close together. I really uh, like to have uh, the mast or the strut set further back from the wing because it imparts yaw stability. And I think it also improves various performance parameters of the wing. Uh, and some some designers are very clued into that and some less so um so you know in hindsight it's it's pretty clear but it's amazing because um you know back 10 years ago we had it difficult like the the equipment was not great it was hard to ride things are much easier now much better
0: yeah oh yeah, it's a good time to get into it and and I'm so happy that there's a lot, well, there's a lot more people getting in and, and the, I give lessons and, and every once in a while, these are people who had never seen wind. they never thought they'd be on the water and, yeah. and the amount of excitement they get. And then the, freedom, the the feeling they get of how quiet it is and how much they can sightsee and all these new experiences for them. I'm, I'm, I just get so stoked for them because you never that's know a, where it's going to take them.
1: Yeah. That's a magic carpet ride, you know? Yeah. And, and with the winging, they're much less likely to be killed. Than with the kite foiling, <laughs> significantly less. I, yeah, I haven't had a wing drag me over a parking lot full of cars yet.
0: <laughs> or the one it, I've heard that they're that when you're getting it's it's they buck on it, I guess, and the and the foil comes up and it gets caught up in the lines and turns them into a good old uh, death loop. That's one thing I've heard about. It doesn't happen um, often. Uh, that does happen often. Like the, I think the
1: thing that really kind of. Gets a lot of people that I don't like. It's really scary. It's kind of the taco fold to lure. Uh, yeah. Like all of a both. sudden, you get all of a sudden, yeah. like you're falling to lure and the foil is coming up, and it's like, oh. And there's like, how do you extricate yourself from that? It's, and, you know, I've got all sorts of freaking scars all over me. from <laughs> My shins are just like a disaster. It's been worth it. Well, thanks so much for reaching out. I'm, I'm glad I was able to, you know, chat with you. It's super comfortable. and uh, Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, maybe we'll get you out on the Delta.
0: I'd like I would, to. Yeah, I would love to try that. And if I don't see you before AWSI next year, thanks for coming yeah. on. And we'll have to have you back on, chat some more. Now, I'll, obviously, I take a lot of comments and questions from the community. So if there's anything specific, I'll just reach out to you and... Uh, Maybe we can do it yeah another.
1: absolutely and you know delta hydrofoil.com that's our website uh mac kiteboarding carries delta rehat kiteboarding carries delta this we have a shop in, in harris that carries delta so yeah we we have stuff in stock we have the 700s and uh yeah i think uh for winging, I, I would, if if you have a lower budget, then you can definitely do the M-Frame system for $1,200 and get a really high performance wing. And then if you decide to do an all carbon system, you can do the R-Frame and all the weights will work. Everything's compatible.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. All, all right. right, George. Take care. Hey, thanks a lot. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight.